electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Jeff Mills. We begin with two major market-moving stories out of Washington. Stocks plunge as President Trump pulls the plug on stimulus talks until after the election, and the House just releasing its highly anticipated antitrust report on big tech. We've got full team coverage standing by to break down both of these big stories. Kayla Tausch is digging in on that tech report, but we start off with Elon Moy and the stimulus shocker that sank stocks. Elon. Melissa, the president announced this on Twitter, saying that he had made a generous offer, but that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was not negotiating in good faith. He wrote, I have instructed my representatives to stop negotiating until after the election, when immediately after I win, we will pass a major stimulus bill that focuses on hardworking Americans and small businesses. Now, Trump had a call with the Treasury Secretary and the top Republicans in the House and the Senate earlier this afternoon to talk about another COVID relief package. Mnuchin and Pelosi were supposed to get on the phone after that was over to sort of hash out the details of a deal clearly that has now been upended. Democrats found out about this on Twitter, just like everybody else. Pelosi was actually in the middle of a call with her caucus when it came out. And I'm told that privately she responded by questioning the president's mental health and suggesting that the medications he is on could be impairing his thinking. Now, publicly, what she said was that once again, President Trump has showed his true colors, putting himself first at the expense of the country with the full complicity of the GOP members of Congress. Melissa Pelosi and Mnuchin did have that phone call at 3.30 this afternoon, but it was short. And Mnuchin just confirmed that the president is closing the door on a deal. Back over to you. Is there any thinking, Elon, that the president is calculating that the Democrats will collapse and give in on key issues? I don't think that is where Pelosi is going to be headed. Yeah. But clearly, Democrats are regrouping and we'll see uh, how they respond with legislation or additional bills going forward. OK, Elon, thank you. Elon Moy uh, with the shocker out of D.C. this afternoon. And of course, that had an immediate impact on stocks. We saw the stocks immediately reverse. Guy, you know, Brian Kelly, let's give him some credit here. I think he was the only one on this desk who actually said that is the biggest risk to the market. And he can totally see that happening. And here we are. I'm glad you mentioned that, Mel, because I was going to absolutely bring up Brian Kelly. And he's, he's right. Uh, you know, I do. Th look, it doesn't matter what I think. But, you know, we, one of the things I've said for a while is I think President Trump will use this to his advantage. He wins either way. I do think it's some sort of political Ploy. I'm not certain how he thinks it's going to play out. But if he forces a Democrat's hand, that's a sort of a feather in his cap. And if he says, you know, the obstructionist Democrats, they won't push it through. Wait, vote for me. I'll get a stimulus bill. You'll get everything you want in my second term first year. That wins. That works for him as well. So I think it's some sort of calculated move because he understands, in my opinion, the ramifications to the stock market. With all that said, I think the VIX at 28 They've been trying to tell you something for a while. This 33.95 level in the S&P 500 we've talked about is a pivot level. And I think we're going to continue to vacillate around it. 
This is happening on the same day, of course, that Jerome Powell, Fed chair, has made perhaps the strongest appeal to date for Congress to get their act together and pass some sort of stimulus saying that a recovery will move faster and be uh, you know, much stronger should there be fiscal along with monetary policy working hand in hand together, Jeff Mills. So what do you make of this? Even if it's a short term impact on the market here, the market's going to look through this and think, oh, this is some sort of political theater going on and ultimately there will still be a deal. Or do we have to put some sort of discount into the market here, um, you know, assuming that there is no stimulus at all coming? Yeah, I'm not so sure. I think the market still believes we're going to get stimulus at some point. It's just a matter of when. And I think the timing really matters for this whole rotation trade that we're talking about. The trading today was a little bit unusual because you did see yield sell off. You saw banks sell off, but small caps outperformed, value outperformed. But I think looking past just today, you're going to need investors to believe that we have this durable economic recovery to really sustainably rotate into value. And I think about the labor market and Powell's comments today saying the unemployment rate's probably closer to 11%. Permanently unemployed continues to rise. If you look at spending and income data in August, spending up but income down because savings were drawn down. So that's obviously not sustainable. So the question is, are these cracks that still exist in the foundation going to be filled by additional stimulus or are they going to be let to heal on their own? Because I think if it's the latter, then that rotation probably takes a lot longer. And the sixth try now that we're going through to rotate from growth to value probably fails until we have more clarity there. Yeah. Dan, what's your take on the action today? Well, yeah, I think yesterday was pretty interesting. I know that there was a lot of commentary about why we had such a sharp rally higher. I know that some of the polls showing that the Biden lead was expanding and then the potential for a Senate flip makes it less likely that we would have a contested election and therefore we would have an easier path to future stimulus. You know, again, the the window is getting very short when you think about where lawmakers are going to be over the next few weeks about passing some new stimulus. Um, I don't think this works to the president's favor in the next few weeks either. Um, But to Jeff's point, really important, last week, when you look at those continuing claims, when you look at the disappointment in the non-farm payrolls on Friday and you think about how much time is elapsed since we've had this expanded unemployment benefits, you start to say to yourself, the consumer is hurting and the consumer who's on the bottom part of that K and the K recovery, and that's the consumer that we need to help right now. So to me, I actually think it puts off the recovery. I think the point about 11% unemployment, we've been talking about structurally high unemployment. That is the thing that fiscal stimulus is going to have to attack in the new year or once this election is over. Um, So to me, I, I think the market should be a little hesitant here because it's going to take a little bit longer. This will slow the recovery and that will impact corporate earnings. So Main Street doesn't get any any help at this point, Tim. Let's let's sort of follow follow the trajectory out in terms of the impact. Businesses perhaps may face more bankruptcies in this, in this meantime without getting any sort of of help. Uh, consumers may further pull back spending. I mean, how do we play this out in the market in terms of sectors? Well, you got a chance to see today, you know, when the market kind of came unchained, where the the impact of loss of stimulus and what that means. So which sectors uh, you saw it specifically in the energy sector, which over the last couple of days had gotten some sense that you're really getting a deal done. You could certainly have seen it in banks and the reflection upon the yield curve, as has been discussed. But but ultimately, I, I, like, I think we have seen some rotation in, into into value. And that that is the transports that that have been running for a long time. And I think even some of the industrials, I, I think. Uh, you know, while the market really uh, wants 
politicians to finish what they started. I think you have a case here where um, you're going to get stimulus at some point. You are going to get it after the election. You are going to get an infrastructure bill. So for the market to completely dislocate at this point, I just don't see it happening. Uh, and, and again, if you look at mega cap tech, you can make an argument that despite the strength over the last couple of days, uh, today's very poor close. You have a case where a lot of that leadership is still struggling and, and you know, is, is not necessarily going to get you the answer. Certainly with the news out of Washington, which I know we're going to discuss, um, I think the parts of the market that have been outperforming over the last three to four weeks are going to continue to outperform. I have a question, though, and I'm raising my hand, which I typically do when we're all together on set at the oh. Nasdaq market site. But you guys can't see me, so I'm telling you that I'm raising my hand with this question. And, Guy, I will direct this question straight to you, and that is for the assumption that we will get stimulus at some point after the election. Is that after the election? That's sometime in January? That's sometime in February? And what happens in the months now when consumers are not getting any sort of supplemental help and they're out of, of work and perhaps there are more furloughs becoming permanent layoffs um, as industries decide, you know what, we can't go on like this? Yeah, you don't paint a particularly rosy picture, and I think the powers that be sort of understand that. I think they're also willing to play that game. I, I don't know what it means uh, for the consumer that Dan talked about. Clearly, it's not good. But this, to me, is all about setting up for the election. How can um, this administration paint themselves in, in, in the most favorable way and be potentially the knight in shining armor that saves the day in the weeks coming up to the election? Which, by the way, we're right in the midst of. So... I think this was calculated. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe it was just a fly-by-night decision just to pull this out of a fit of rage. But I also think that President Trump understands that the stock market is his gauge. And I think he's very aware of the fact that guy, his tweet guy. today was deleterious. And I think he's going to come back with something over the next couple of weeks. That's just my view. Go, Dan. Bad take, man. Bad take. I mean, I don't understand when you're losing this badly and you're the president of the United States trying to get reelected, how not throwing a lifeline to the most vulnerable citizens in our country in the middle of the worst health crisis in 100 years, the middle of the worst economic crisis in 100 years. I, I just don't understand how that works to his political benefit. Come vote for me and I'll give you the help you need in a few months. People, there's, there's 20 million Americans that are out of work and it's growing um, each week, if you look at those continuing claims. So to me, uh, this is bad politics. The Republicans in the Senate never wanted to do any of these sorts of fiscal stimulus deals. And, and I don't really think the president has his wits about him at the moment. So um, at the end of the day, um, it's really a very it's, it's like an act of political terrorism that's going on this week, in my opinion. Well, I, listen, I, and, and, that, and I totally get it, and I can understand why you would think that. And I would, I would push back and say I think I really do believe he's trying to force the other side's hand, and he's going to try to emerge victorious. And you've seen him do it before, where he says, look what I've done for you. My steadfast resolve got you a better deal, theoretically. Uh, vote for me, and we have four more years of winning. I'm not suggesting it's right or wrong. I just think that's how this is going to play As out which is why I think that, you know, it's not as negative for the market as today's actions suggest. Tim, with your hand raised, go ahead. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, rather than call out, I've, I've politely raised my hand and waited here. Doesn't this kind of remind you of trade war? Doesn't this kind of remind you of the wall of worry that we kept climbing? Doesn't this, I mean, to me, ultimately, 
bad news, negative headlines have always led to the market moving higher. And I think this is another setup. I, I really do. I mean, I think you've got a case here. And Dan is describing a political analysis um, and, and Guy is on some level you know, assessing what the president has done in the past. It's probably left him nothing but an opportunity to win. I, I just see this as setting up uh, a lot of anxiety and, and a case where the market climbs the wall of worry. We've hmm. been doing this for two years. Um, and, and yes, we have had a chance to see just where stimulus is really going to be most focused as market participants. And I think investors need to, to keep an eye on those trades because I wouldn't get too far away from them because whether we get it now or we get it in the future, I would argue those trades were already working. All right, let's get now to the other big developing story out of Washington, D.C. The House releasing its antitrust probe into big tech. Kayla Tausche's got the details. Kayla. Melissa, the House Subcommittee on Antitrust released its long-awaited report into Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google after 16 months of investigation. It finds that each company wields a unique type of monopoly power over third-party sellers, over software developers, over social networking competitors, and over the advertising market. Now, counsels for the subcommittee said the emails they obtained from executives describing some of these practices were white-hot documents that proved their case. And they said that it wasn't just customers that were outraged over some of this behavior, but it was businesses also who are operating on some of these platforms, calling it a civil war. The Democrats recommend structural separations, breakups, prohibitions on big mergers and running adjacent businesses, and regulations that limit some of this data collection. But it would take an act of Congress to implement any of this, they acknowledge, and bipartisan support to get both chambers on board. Now, CNBC reached out to all of the companies named in this report for comment. Amazon so far is the only one who has posted posted any sort of response to this 450-page report. And Amazon says in a blog post that the subcommittee's conclusions were based on fallacies and that the presumption that success can only be the result of anti-competitive behavior is simply wrong. Melissa? Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tausche. Let's bring in RBC's Mark Mahaney to uh, help us parse through this. Mark, great to have you with us. I don't know if you got a chance to thumb through that 450-page report yourself, but I, I want, is there anything in this that We'll finally move the stocks because I feel like every headline that has come out threatening a breakup of big technology because of antitrust concerns, they stocks just shrug it off. Well, let's see. No, I haven't had a chance to speed read the uh, 450 pages yet, but we will work on that. And then uh, I will make this point. Uh, we've had one of these companies, big tech companies, that's been most under the regulatory spotlight over the last three to four years. That's Google. And that's the tech, big tech stock I think is most underperformed versus NASDAQ. So, there is something here in terms of stock pickers perspective. There is something here. Regulation is an issue for these stocks. I think uh, Google still remains the companies I look at the large cap Internet names probably still faces the greatest regulatory risk for a variety of different reasons. Uh, I doubt it's going to be broken up. I'm not at all surprised that this report uh, comes out. I watched all five hours of that congressional testimony, and that was a bipartisan critique of big tech by Congress. It wasn't Democrat or Republican, although there were a lot of interesting nuances. It was bipartisan. So I'm not surprised at all that this will come out. This certainly handicaps large acquisitions by any of these companies. I think a spinoff is extremely unlikely. Uh, but you will have much greater scrutiny on these names. This has been building up for years. It remains an investment risk. Hey, Mark, it's Dan. Um, hey, real quickly here, did, did the feds 
Did they just wait too long? Are these companies too big? If you think about, you know, some of the ones in their sites, they're all, you know, north of a billion. Facebook, obviously, a little below that. But when you think about the power that these companies have right now, the amount of people that they employ, that sort of thing, um, did they just wait too long? I mean, are they going to be able to get anything with any teeth? Uh, I, I think they'll be get to be able to get stuff with uh, teeth. I think they'll be able to. Um, uh, I think they'll be able to. Um, uh, impact these companies, but I, you know, some this 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 pitch that you're making about they waited too long, and people always go back to this Facebook acquisition of Instagram. Look, when Facebook bought Instagram, and they surprised everybody, even their own shareholders, when they bought that thing. I mean, it was a tiny asset. It would, it would have been impossible for a regulator, I think, at that time, to go back and say you can't buy an asset for a billion dollars because this could become a thirty-year revenue. Nobody could have made that kind of call. So I, I, I think some of this, like looking back on old acquisitions and saying we should have stopped those, uh, you can't deal with the facts today. You got to deal with the facts that occurred at the time. I don't see any of the acquisitions that these companies made going back. I'm talking about Google, DoubleClick, Amazon, Whole Food. None of them, I think, at the time were obviously antitrust. Uh, they should have been stopped on antitrust grounds. Whether they have been innovative enough since then to really build up much bigger assets, absolutely. That's what Facebook has done. More power to them. They 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 pulled off a really great acquisition and they built it up over time. I don't think you can go back and unwind those kind of deals. And by the way, I think they'd be bad for business. Uh, the one part of the report, Mark, that I found interesting was that um, this report says that a player shouldn't control the market in which they compete. So that seemed obviously to point to Amazon being a seller of its own goods yeah. in the marketplace it operates. Um, in your view, is this, I mean, if Amazon could not sell its own goods on the Amazon site, what would that do to the company? Well, I think that'd be a fundamental negative development for Amazon. There's two companies that do this. It's Google and Amazon. They run their marketplaces and then they compete in those marketplaces, advertising and commerce. The odd statistic you want to really think hard about, though, on this Amazon charge is they report every year what percentage, every quarter, what percentage of their unit sales are done by third-party vendors. And that's risen over the last decade. I mean, it used to be 20%. Now it's almost 60% of units sold on the Amazon marketplace are sold by third-party vendors. So Amazon's actually seeded share from first party to third party. That's just, that, that statistic should just, you should think about that is whether Amazon is really tilting the, the playing field in its advantage since more and more of the share of those sales is going to third-party vendors. And one last thing to keep in mind, these companies have actually created an enormous ecosystem for small businesses. I think sometimes that's lost. Internet one, internet you know, rev num number uh, one back 20 years ago really undermined small businesses, physical small businesses. The Internet today and society today is dramatically different. There are millions of businesses that survive and thrive because they can sell on Amazon, because they can advertise on Facebook. I just hope we don't lose that in the debate over how big these companies have become. Especially during the pandemic, maybe small businesses are using this as, as a lifeline here to operate. Mark, always good to get your take. We appreciate it. Mark Mahaney of RBC. Thank you, Melissa. Uh, Jeff Mills, um, what do you think the impact of this could be? Kayla made it very clear that it would take an act of Congress to enact any laws that could enact any changes uh, suggested by this report. Yeah, it's something that's been around for a long time. So I think it's probably still a slow burn versus something that's an acute, immediate risk to the stocks. I think you can see the way they're trading after hours off, but not dramatically so. And there are so many what ifs in the calculation. I think it's really hard to make a clear portfolio decision about what to buy, what to sell today based on this. I just I just think it's too difficult. I think, you know, by my calculations, my guess is a company like Apple might be least vulnerable from a political standpoint. I think near term, there are some catalysts. You know, 38 percent of iPhones are in the window of an upgrade cycle over the next 12 to 18 months. This kind of recovery that we were talking about in the previous segment, 
If you look at consumer confidence and chop it up, it's that top income bracket where the confidence is rising the most. I think 19 points in the most recent reading. So in that regard, it, it's those consumers um, that are probably going to continue to buy products like Apple. So I think they're reasonably well positioned. It's a headwind to the space, obviously, just given how they're valued, uh, price to perfection, as they mm-hmm. say. But um, at least that, that's my take, at least for now. The, the one thing I don't get about that last point about Amazon operating the marketplace in which it competes is it, doesn't that... Doesn't that happen with a lot of retailers? I mean, doesn't Walmart operate a marketplace in which it sells its own private label goods or or Costco or Target? I mean, Tim, what are the implications? If that is an argument that actually holds up and could be applied to other industries, I think that you can go many, many places in terms of targets. Well, you could definitely go to Walmart. I mean, that that sounds to me about uh, people that are employing practices where they're essentially competing on price and, and willing to to essentially operate at a loss. And, and look, Walmart has pushed people around on price forever. That's their advantage. Um, Amazon largely was doing that and, and did not seek to, to, to play to a profit. You know, at the end of the day, uh, if I'm investing with Amazon, though, or, or Apple at this point, I, I don't think you're running with the devil. I think you have a case where uh, the valuations in the mega cap tech space are, are really challenging here. That's really what it comes down to. We've all said we've seen this before. June 2019, we saw these stocks drop 7 or 8% on the first DOJ. And every time we get this, um, I think the market has become somewhat inured. It's really about who will be the most defensive in mega cap tech over the next three to six months on the combination of both valuation and maybe less regulatory headlines. And I think it's Microsoft. I think it's Microsoft. And it's it's mm. I, I'm not happy to say it, but it's probably also Facebook, who I, I think it's really about the strength of the small, medium sized businesses. It's about the economy. Um, I think that's really the, the future of these companies right now. All right. Coming up, shares of GE falling hard today as the SEC poses new questions over the company's financials. We'll bring you the very latest. And later, Tim is pitching his next best idea why he thinks this under-the-radar housing stock could be a total grand slam. That name, when Fast Money returns. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. GE dropping today after the company said it received a Wells notice from the SEC. The agency claiming GE violated securities laws in its financial reporting and revenue recognition. GE shares falling nearly 4% today. The stock is down more than 40% on the year. Tim, you're in this one. Yeah, look, I, I, I think the, the story around GE's accounting, and particularly in this insurance unit, is something that the regulators have been looking at for a long time. I, I think they've been looking at GE's accounting across multiple business units, uh, including their power business. But uh, the insurance business notably um, and effectively sits inside of the GE cap business, I think, is something that uh, the question ultimately, it sounds like the regulators are grappling with how broad uh, do they want to go here? And, and ultimately knowing that in, in terms of pragmatism, it 
may be uh, more important to kind of focus in here. Is this material for the stock? It, look, it's impossible to know. Um, but again, if you're looking at one of their business units and you look at the impact, GE's, GE's issues right now are really about free cash flow and really about the balance sheet. And those are things that I don't think change in the short to medium term. And, and, and again, I can't speculation on the size of a fine, uh, but, but that's really what we're talking about. I, I think this is um, more you know, egg in the face of what was one of the proudest conglomerates in our country's history. Uh, but we knew that. And that's in the that's in the price. And arguably, the price dictates that there was a lot of misrepresentation uh, of the underlying accounting. It really does. Yeah. I mean, in, in the past, she has repeatedly said that it had shed its insurance risk. And here we are talking about the risk because of this unit. Um, Jeff Mills, this is supposed to be a turnaround story. So where are we in this turnaround? Is this an investable turnaround in your view? I think I'd continue to be patient here with the stock. I mean, mm -hmm. the good news is that it has shown some pretty solid technical support around that 6 or $7 level. So we're in the low sixes now. So I think that's supportive. Um, this clearly isn't great news one way or the other. Hard to know how it plays out ultimately. But, you know, the stock's trading down 45%. But if you look at the forward P-E ratio right now, 25 times next year's earnings. So that's as expensive as the stock has traded in the last 20 years. Now, maybe you look out a little bit further, you look to 2022, 2023 earnings, and the picture gets a little bit better. So the PE for next year isn't as important. But I think with the stock down as much as it is, and given that valuation, I wouldn't be really excited about jumping in right here. Guy, your thoughts? 548 was the low, I think, in May, Mel. Um, it's Judgment Day. For, for General Electric. Now, I say that because, Mel, over the course of the last 20 minutes, Tim has inserted about I three know. different Van Halen titles. Oh, you do know oh, that. No, I didn't just, know, no, I didn't know about the titles. I noticed his four. background, which is clearly a tribute. Yeah, to Eddie Van Halen, I mean, yeah, who is 65 years old, but passed I, away today. Know. Sad. A moment. Here's a moment Sad. for Eddie. All right. We've got much more fast money <laughs> straight ahead. Here's what's coming up next. Very cool. Airlines dropping today as stimulus hopes get a little dimmer. But one trader says they might be a better bet than Boeing. That epic game of Would You Rather is coming up. And later, we've got a spotlight on small caps. The names one top investor says are ready to rally. We've got that and a lot more when fast money returns. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Airline stocks tumbling as President Trump says there will be no stimulus talks until after November's election. Phil LeBeau is live in Chicago with the details. Phil. Uh, Melissa, not a surprise that you would see the stocks fall anywhere between two and a half and four and a half percent, because this was the news that the airlines were not looking for. They were hoping, hoping that a stimulus bill would go through in some fashion because there's been bipartisan support for $25 billion in airline aid. That would be payroll aid. Guarantee the payrolls through March of next year, which would mean no furloughs. Remember, over 32,000 employees have been furloughed starting last Thursday. So here's what you're looking at. One stock in particular that people are going to pay attention to, it's Southwest Airlines. Gary Kelly was on Squawk Box this morning. He said, look, if we don't get a payroll aid package, we will have to consider 10% pay cuts. We've already heard from the flight attendants at Southwest saying, "Uh uh-uh, we're not negotiating a 10% cut. Gary Kelly says without that aid, they will have to consider these measures. I'm very, very confident that uh, we'll get past this pandemic. We'll be in a a strong position to uh, not just survive but thrive. But we've got to do everything that we can to conserve cash between now and then. And this is our largest largest, uh, cost uh, opportunity that we have. So here's what you're looking at if you're looking at the airlines overall. They continue to lose tens of millions of dollars every day. $77 billion will be lost in the second half of this year worldwide by the airlines. And I just looked at what the, uh, the U.S. airlines are doing in the third quarter. They're losing between 17 and $36 million a day. They are expected not to break even until 2022. One other note related to the airlines, and it has to do with the outlook that Boeing put out today. This is the commercial airplane outlook going through the next 10 years as well as through the next 20 years. And not surprisingly, you are seeing fewer wide-body planes that will be needed. That's why they're bringing down that outlook by 11%. International demand will will be weak for several years. And they're not expecting a full passenger recovery until late 2023. Hmm. Bottom line is this, Melissa not only for Southwest, but all of the airlines here in the United States. This is not going to be a great quarter, especially if you see weaker traffic during the holidays because of COVID-19. And then you've got the first quarter, weakest time of the year historically for the airlines, and nobody's expecting much for the first quarter of next year. Phil, these airlines, though, still have options. I mean, there is still a Treasury loan that they can draw on. American just did last week, didn't they? So there right. are options. But that's, that's, but for running that's, the opera- that, that's for running the business. Uh-huh. That's not for covering payroll. What okay. we're talking about, the $25 billion that's bipartisan support for in Washington, that is strictly, strictly to cover payroll, which would mean 32,000 uh, employees uh, at various airlines would not be furloughed. The airlines have basically said, if we don't have that aid to cover that pay, we've got to furlough these people. So these loans, the Treasury loans, let's say the ones the American took out, cannot be used for payrolls. They're well, they could use it for payroll, but they're using it to get their operations right. uh, to have enough liquidity in line. That's basically what it is. Mm-hmm. They're basically getting as much liquidity lined up because they know they're going to have to ride this thing out much longer than anybody expected. Okay. Phil, thank you, as always. You Phil LeBeau in Chicago. Um, Tim Seymour, our airlines, I mean, the the reaction the airlines tells you that they need this aid. As an investor, do you say they don't get this and I take off this much in market cap from these airlines? 
I don't, I don't think so. And, and again, isn't part of this uh, airlines that are saying we don't want to have to lay people off and cut more costs and stop our burn? I mean, I, I think, you know, this is an issue where airlines uh, have a social responsibility. Maybe, I, I don't know, the government does, somebody does. Um, obviously, very painful to fire people uh, or furlough people. But, but if you've seen how quickly some of them have been able to cut their expenses and, and, and obviously the necessity to do that. I would just simply say, look, two days ago when people were excited about the, the impact and, and of what maybe some of the antiviral drugs are doing, uh, whether it was the president's recovery, whether it was just what we're seeing, uh, airlines had been charts that you could buy. You can't have it both ways. It didn't suddenly change overnight. We've known about their fiscal position for the last three months. Uh, we have known about these discussions with the government. Yes, they are important. But ultimately, uh, I think there are a number of airlines that are ready to do what they need to do, uh, would prefer not to do the painful and socially painful thing. But um, as an investor in airlines, I, I, you know, it's not like everybody, everybody wants some. Um, but I do think you've got a case where there are a lot of people that say at these levels. Mm -hmm. And I'd say this about Boeing. Um, Boeing ultimately has still 40 percent of their business. Actually, it's a bigger proportion because of what's happened to their commercial aircraft in defense and in global services is another 20 percent. It's not like they have no business. So uh, I think investors need to look at the full picture here. It's going to be painful for airlines. Delta will have money through 2021. That's my pick. I'm going to pull back the curtain on how fast money operates. Every day we've got a call at 1230 where we talk to the traders, see what's on their minds. And on today's 1230 call, there was an <laughs> epic, epic game, a self would you rather, in fact, by Dan Nathan. Would you rather Boeing or the airlines? And Dan, what was your answer? Well, Tim just made a good my, mine was the airlines, I mean, but not all the airlines. And I think that, you know, when you think about the domestic carriers, the ones that don't rely on business travel as much, I suspect that that'll snap back um, faster. You know, Southwest has a great balance sheet. I mean, when you think about how much cash they have on their balance sheet relative to their debt, it's really hard to listen to their CEO talk like that, that they're willing to cut um, some of their employees loose when they have lots of um, lots of avenues, right, to keep those those employees aligned or around. So to me, you know, I, I think Jet, uh, Southwest, JetBlue, the, the domestic carriers with decent balance sheets, I think they're in good shape. But uh, American seems like it's 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 not one you want to play in. Um, and then United and Delta are probably going to take a little longer to come back to get those long haul uh, business flights back in uh, in those routes going. Yeah, guy, quick. If I'm playing the Dan Nathan, would you rather, I would rather the airlines as well. You know, Boeing, Boeing's got issues, and Dan has said this a couple times. You wonder if five years from now, when I'm 83 and doing fast money, <laughs> if we're talking about Boeing the same way we are talking about GE earlier today. There's a chance of that happening. I understand what Tim is saying about their defense uh, portion of the business. I totally get it. But i got to tell you something. The, the commercial airspace looks challenged, to say the least. Coming up, it has been a volatile week for crude prices, but one options trader is betting on a big boom in one oil fund will bring you the trade. But first, Tim is winding up for a fast pitch. The home goods stock, he says, could take the competition to the cleaners. We'll tell you what it is when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. As you know, everyone and their brother is buying, selling, or under contract on a house right now. So how should you play this hot trend? Well, Tim has got a fast pitch for us on just that. So step on up to the mound, Tim. Give it a whirl. 
So the pitch today is Whirlpool. And you know, one of the great Van Halen songs is Somebody Get Me a Doctor. Somebody get me an appliance. And if you can get one, and if you've tried to order an appliance during the crisis, you've realized that not only is there extreme back order and there are supply constraints, but there is also huge demand. Uh, and there are a lot of people, these secular trends that we're talking about, about the housing industry and and not just the folks moving out of the urban centers, but people fixing up their homes, people with low rates, taking out home equity loans. So again, uh, it's a very, very interesting time. The components of the building materials hanging below the, the, the home builders, I think are a more interesting trade and I think have more secular room to run. So that's that's why Whirlpool. But if you look at the valuations, this is a company that's around nine times, 10 times, 2011, uh, excuse me, 2021 uh, EBITDA and 2022 EBITDA, so 10 times, 11 times. And it's a case where the valuation relative to the group and relative to the home builders, it looks very, very interesting. Finally, the chart. If you look at the chart on this, it's breaking out after a five-year chart where We'd gone to the right for two or three years after consolidating on a 2015 breakout. This stock over the last three weeks is starting to push through that uh, fresh all-time highs. And because it's a part of the XHB, the Home Builders ETF, it's the largest position. It's also seeing investors that it probably would not have seen. But again, the fundamentals, the secular story, and the valuation makes sense to me. All right, time for questions. Uh, The general has got one for Tim. So I'm with Tim on this. I'm a believer in the housing story, but I do have one question in terms of a possible vulnerability, and that's stimulus. So clearly people were getting more money in their check. They were buying big things like appliances. How vulnerable do you think a name like this is to the stimulus bill getting passed or not? You know, look, uh, if you look at Lowe's and Best Buy and their sales in the second and third quarters, you could make an argument that they are major recipients of, of stimulus money. I would also say that they probably are seeing a lot more coming from home equity loans and low rates and people throwing money into their houses and fixing them up. That's, that's my view. All right. No more questions. It is time to vote. So are you buying or selling Tim's pitch on Whirlpool? Guy, what do you say? What does that say, Mel? Can you read that? It is all, all about, about the appliances. appliances. I love our whiteboards, by the way. I mean, this is fantastic. I'm with them. In valuation, you know, the stock has doubled since the March low, but valuation, to Tim's point, is still reasonable. You own it into earnings on October 21st. All right. Uh, Dan, what do you say? Uh, Sold to Tim. Guy, it hasn't doubled since the March lows. It's up 200% (laughs) since the March lows, if we're going to do a little math here. Listen, Tim's argument makes great sense. I think Mills on the stimulus issue is a big one here. You had an opportunity just last month to buy this in the low 160s. That's where you reload at that prior breakout level. I don't think you buy it here close to 200 bucks. I like the whiteboards too, but I I thought we had blackboards at the NASDAQ with the fluorescent mark. Anyway, um, Jeff Mills, your vote. So I kind of tip my hand here a little bit, but I vote yes. Um, and, you know, and I agree with Tim. You know, the chart looks good. It's, it looks like it's heading back to those old 2015 highs. They've done a really good job cutting costs. It led to a big bottom line beat. I think they probably continue to be disciplined there. So I like it. You had a nice little drawing of a dryer and a refrigerator, too. Um, the traders right have on. spoken. Like so nice now it's your turn out there. Head on to our uh, Twitter poll, CNBC Fast Money. Tell us if you're buying or selling Tim's fast pitch on Whirlpool. We'll reveal the results later on in the show. And coming up next, we'll be joined by small-cap investor Jeff Osher. He is fresh off presenting his next big idea at this year's Sone Conference in San Francisco. He will pitch us that stock straight ahead on Fast.
Welcome back to Fast Money. You just heard Tim's fast pitch on Whirlpool. Don't forget to vote in our Twitter poll, by the way, at CNBC Fast Money. Our next guest has another under-the-radar way to play the hot housing market. He just pitched it at this year's Sone San Francisco conference. Let's bring in No Street Capital founder Jeff Osher. So, Jeff, take it away. What's your pitch? Hi, Melissa. Thanks for having me. So, uh, today we presented Purple Innovation. Um, it's a company similar to the last discussion around uh, Whirlpool. It's been a, a beneficiary of this secular trend towards the home, uh, although we think this is a structural beneficiary well beyond the home. It's a vertically integrated manufacturing company with a focus on consumer comfort. Uh, they have 300 patents, 200 granted, 100 pending, um, and they focus right now on the mattress industry. They went from zero to uh, about $660 million of revenue, which is 3% of the mattress cam in less than five years based on the first innovation within the mattress industry since 1992, which was when Temper introduced uh, memory foam. Mm -hmm. Specifically, Purple has a grid technology that uses injection moldings uh, uh, that's proprietary, not commercially available anywhere else. They have 675,000 square feet of production in Grantsville, Utah. They have been effectively sold out since COVID hit despite mattress sales declining 20% in Q2. This is a digitally native company that has a runway within wholesale specifically that we think extends three to five years. We believe the company uh, uh, in, in two years based on captive demand mm -hmm. and capacity that will hit the market in 2021 and 2022, will be doing a billion five of revenue, 200 million plus of EBITDA and probably earning between two and two and a quarter uh, per share. Jeff. It's a $24 stock today. Yes, uh, I'm wondering, you know, mattresses obviously is, is what you what they're focused on right now. You mentioned they focus on comfort. So is the is the hope that they're going to use some of this technology in other products or is mattresses really their their primary growth driver? Yeah, so it's a good question. So uh, the technology was founded in 1992 to actually relieve uh, uh, sores, pressure sores from people in wheelchairs. Um, in the last two years, the company introduced for the first time pillows which is an ancillary product to the bedding industry, obviously, uh, as well as sheets uh, and seat cushions. That business, to give you a sense of the adoption uh, and critical mass the company has, mm -hmm. uh, that ancillary business went from zero to a hundred plus million dollars of revenue in less than two years. We think they will move into luxury automotive uh, as well as perhaps first class seating among airlines. And the technology really is applicable anywhere uh, pressure, uh, responsiveness and comfort is uh, uh, desired. Right. Bottom line is first, Jeff, um, it's trading right now in the after hour session up 9% to 27. Where could this stock be in, say, a year? I mean, what, what are your forecasts? Yeah, so we think at a market multiple, which given the fact the company is growing 50 plus percent and has visibility into 2021, 2022 based mm -hmm. on supply growth of 50 plus percent in each of those years, even if we assume a market multiple 13, 14 times EBITDA, uh, we get $55 within 12 to 18 months. And if mm. we're right, these ancillary opportunities, we think it's a $100 stock in five years. Jeff, great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank Jeff Osher, No Street Capital. Um, by the way, the stock is already up 267% uh, over the past year. Tim, I'm going to go to you since you pitch Whirlpool. Does this sound interesting to you? Purple innovation. Well, it, it, 
Yeah, it does. And again, I think these secular trends are ones, you know, we've talked about the haves and the have nots of the COVID in the post COVID world. And I think these trends remain. You know, a lot of times when you get into smaller cap stocks with this kind of growth, you also don't talk about valuations that make a lot of sense. Those numbers that were just communicated for 50 plus, you know, CAGR growth sounds like for the next three years. That sounds interesting to me. All right. Coming up, Hurricane Delta rapidly intensifying as it takes aim at the Gulf Coast. How it could have major implications for the energy market? We'll bring you the details ahead. And later, do not miss Kramer's exclusive interview with the Paycheck CEO that is at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Meantime, much more fast. Just still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are tracking a developing story. Hurricane Delta is fast approaching the Gulf of Mexico. It's now a Category 4 storm, and it could have major implications for crude oil. Rig evacuations already underway as drillers prepare to shut down production. Crude oil jumping today on these new supply fears. And over in the options market, traders are betting this is just the beginning of a bigger breakout. Mike Coe's got the action. Hey, Mike. Hi, Melissa. So we did see some unusual call activity in the futures, but we're actually taking a look at USO, the United States Oil Fund, the ETF that's designed to track oil prices. And we did see two times the average daily call volume there. The most active contracts were the weekly 29 strike calls. Over 6,000 of those traded for an average of 35 cents. And buyers of those calls are obviously betting that USO will finish above that $29 strike price by at least the 35 cents that they paid. That would represent about a 3% increase at least by the end of this week. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Mike Coe. And for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, vote. Are you buying Tim's fast pitch on Whirlpool? Head to Twitter. Let us know. We will reveal the results when Fast Money returns. Time to reveal if you at home bought Tim's fast pitch on Whirlpool. The people have spoken and the vote is no. But in honor of the late great guitarist Eddie Van Halen, we thought it would be totally appropriate to end the show with a little Van Halen. We're crying. We're all crying with Jamie right now. 63% said no, Tim. It's pretty bad. So you, you would have gotten like the dance version of Tony Braxton. It was that bad, just so you know. <laughs> so you should. I got a lot of time for Tony Braxton. So that's yeah. fine. Not as much, though, as uh, Eddie Van Halen, though. Time for the final trade. Let's no, go around the horn. No. Tim, why don't you kick it off for us? Yeah, let's stay here. I mean, fair warning, the stock's had a pretty good run, but you might as well jump into Whirlpool. <laughs> Dan Nathan. Uh, yeah, Sirius XM. There was fears that Howard Stern was going to run with the devil over there to Spotify. Looks like they're going to keep them. I like Sirius here. <laughs> Jeff Mills. So it looks like biotech overall is firming. Gilead's been a lagger, but it is holding really nicely at that 62.5 level. It's been solid technical support over a pretty long period of time. So I think you play it as a trade here. Guy? Mel, are you a fan of Ice Cream Man? I know that's my uh, favorite uh, Van Halen (laughs) song. I'm sure it's yours as well. It's up there, yeah, definitely. Yeah, no question about it. So I know what I'll be doing tonight. I know what you'll be doing tonight. I know the Rangers are on the clock. Young Lafreniere will be selected number one, which means MSGS is bottomed today. I think the stock goes higher from here. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. See you here tomorrow. Mad Money with Jim starts right now. 
Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.